0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Country faces a lot of tension, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, possible unrest right now. And when you add to that all the things that are going on in the economy, all the financial wizardry and and manipulation behind the scenes from the Fed, you got to know that inflation is going to start kicking in here at some point. And I'm really concerned about it. But you know that real gold and silver have, throughout history, maintained value, right? They're a store of value. And right now, you can have real gold and silver delivered right to your door or placed in your IRA or 401K, tax-free and penalty-free. That's right, real gold and silver in your hands or your retirement accounts. Why should you own real gold and silver? Because they both hold their value, especially when markets decline or fail. Oxford Gold Group is the industry leader in precious metals, offering gold and silver at the lowest prices on the market. It's the company I trust to put gold and silver into both my hands and my IRA. The Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and request your free precious metals investment guide. Call 833-600-GOLD and speak with the Oxford Gold Group today. They'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide. The Oxford Gold Group 833-600-GOLD. There are some on the left who are celebrating right now. There are many who are saying they breathe a sigh of relief. Many Americans, a lot of people had very strong views on the Derek Chauvin case and the death of George Floyd. This became a global phenomenon, in fact. But... You would think that after such a, a clear and, and decisive uh, m- moment from the system, from our criminal justice system, people who have been saying all along, it's racist, there's no justice, it doesn't work, that, that they would have at least some tone of satisfaction with this. But you'll notice that for the activists in the Democrat Party, for the left, for the progressives. A term we don't hear as much anymore. We really need to because this is what they are trying to progress toward a goal of an identity politics based Marxism in America, state control, socialism. And you see this mentality coming up in so many different ways, not just in policing and criminal justice, but also with the Green New Deal, climate change craziness and with lockdowns and the worship of Fauci as this this government health king that can tell everybody what to do. You see this coming up in so many different ways. And the left did not waste any time after the verdict yesterday showing us all that they view this as merely the first of many times they plan to bring a tremendous pressure campaign together on a criminal justice issue. And I worry that there will be a sense that Now, riots get the left what it wants. And so going forward, when they don't get what they want, whether it's in a criminal trial or on a political issue, uh, whatever it may be, that they're more likely to say, well, clearly we need to start those riots up again. I mean, here is over at at um, uh, first, we'll start with Minnesota's attorney general, Keith Ellison, and what he says about this play three.
2: That long, hard, painstaking work has culminated today. I would not call today's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. And now the cause of justice is in your hands. And when I say your hands, I mean the hands of the people of the United States. So
1: there we had Keith Ellison saying it's accountability. But it's not justice. Now, I, I want to just start with this could be said of any criminal trial, really, in that there, there is no restoration. Any person who's ever been assaulted, murdered, raped, whether it's for them or for their family, the criminal justice system tries to give some degree. I and mean, this goes to the very basis of our system, tries to give some degree of of um, satisfaction to the wronged party. Uh, But it never makes it all better. It doesn't make it all go away. So that's that's always the case. Just putting that out there. But beyond that, here's where there's a a big difference. I, I was not I'm not deeply emotionally invested in this trial the way many, many millions of other people were on either side of it. I I think that this one was and I I think uh, I haven't really told you exactly what I've what I've felt about this. One is that I have been so honestly busy dealing with the status Democrats and lockdowns and everything else that I, I followed the trial. At the end of the day, I'd read some transcripts, but I didn't have time to sit through all of the evidence, sit through all of the testimony. I couldn't do it. So I brought on people who were covering it every single day to talk to you about it. But. You know, to me, there was to me, there was there was a a there was reasonable doubt. But the video looks really bad. And, you know, if I'm Officer Chauvin, you know, it's it's it was a judgment call, folks. It was this was a close one. This isn't some of the other cases I've seen or some of the other issues we've talked about in in a courtroom setting where it's okay. well, the left is just they're just being crazy. I mean, they're just lying, you know, when when someone runs after a runs up to a cop or pulls a gun on a cop. And the cop shoots him and BLM says, oh, it's murder. And then we have to say, hold on. No, it's not. This wasn't that. But, the, the, you know, you get in. There's so many different layers here. Are all three charges, were they really fairly adjudicated? Did the jury really look at them based on the merits? Or did they just realize, we're going to send them away one way or the other. We might as well all protect ourselves and our families by voting for all three counts. You know, voting guilty on all three counts. I think that's a very real possibility. I don't know. I wasn't in that jury room. But but I also, I, I look at this and I understand that the, the big issue I have isn't so much with, uh, with, with whether Chauvin was guilty on all three or just one. I mean, I always thought the manslaughter charge was going to be a problem for him. I always thought that you got a guy, you're holding him down, he's crying out. You know, at some level, we got to have you do have to have accountability for police officers. I mean, the police officer, that woman um, uh, police officer Potter for resigned. I mean, she's guilty of manslaughter, allegedly, you know, in a legal sense. But we see the video. I mean, she killed the guy she didn't she shouldn't have and didn't mean to. And she's going to pay a price for that. And so uh, I'm not one of these people that runs around. Oh, everything cops do. No, cops do murder people. Sometimes it happens. It is thankfully incredibly rare, especially given how many violent assaults and attacks cops suffer all the time. There was a guy just drove in to New York city last weekend and he had Molotov cocktails in his car. And he's told police he, he threw bleach in the face of an officer and he was going to drive around looking for officers to throw Molotov cocktails at. I mean, this barely even got a, a mention in the national media, if anything, it's covered here locally in New York, but these are the kind of things that law enforcement have to put up with. And so given those circumstances, given the weight of judgment that's put on their shoulders, I give them a lot of leeway. That doesn't mean everything that cops do is justified, legal, or legitimate. It doesn't mean I don't think they should serve the consequences. But here's where the big divide in many ways now happens. Here's where you have to recognize there's, there's a huge separation in perception. The activists, the left, all the people who are saying, "See, George Floyd was killed by Chauvin. Chauvin's a murderer. Period. Therefore, what we say about cops is true. Cops are racist. We need massive police reform. We need, you know, communities of color to feel like they're not constantly under siege from law enforcement acting like uh, racist thugs." And all, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's where I say, "Hold on a second. That." One does not follow the other here. One, one cop in one incident. And like I said, I'm, I'm not even getting into, you know, Chauvin. I I, I think that if the jury had felt that there was reasonable doubt, I could see, I can see that as entirely reasonable under the circumstances, but I also could see it's a close, it was a close call with that manslaughter charge, in my opinion, in my opinion. I know a lot of you are going to disagree with that. That's fine. I don't think it was a close call with the, the murder charges Although you look at the Minnesota state statutes and, you know, it's it's very you can unintentionally murder somebody. It's very you have to get pretty deep in the weeds on it. But I don't think that he I, I I believe very strongly that that Derek Chauvin had no intention of murdering George Floyd. That I am quite certain of. Is he criminally culpable for not providing aid soon enough to George Floyd, while he was in police custody under the circumstances, this is where you get into did he die of an overdose or did he die? A, and you know you have got conflicting medical expert testimony on this. You've got people looking at the toxicology reports coming out with different examples. so there's or a different analysis. so there's a you know this this is a, a a really intricate case when you look at the culpability and everything else. This is not and this was not an open and shut.' not an easy one to decide at all levels, in my, in my opinion. Um, but I know that I'm not responsible for what Derek Chauvin did. You're not responsible. Nobody is responsible for what Derek Chauvin did except for him. And this is where the left is going to push very hard. This is the point on which they will put a tremendous emphasis now. They want to, to use this as a symbol to influence law enforcement, to influence policy and the national conversation about criminal justice and, and racial justice all across the country. And I sit here and say, this is one cop out of out of almost literally a million. And now he is facing a long prison term for this. And, you know, th- th- there there are going to be bad things that happen when you have law enforcement dealing with a country of 330 million people, we're, we're never going to have perfect law enforcement. So why are we using this incident? In what way is this incident showing us what the system does versus what Derek Chauvin does? This is where there's so much debate. This is where there's going to be so much focus. Because the narrative is that Chauvin wasn't an outlier acting on his own and, and one man committing what is now Uh, murder uh, as our courts have found no the narrative is there are many chauvins out there the narrative is there are so many cops who are actually have a depraved who actually have a depraved heart and who are racist and who kill young minority men and get away with it and no one cares and no one makes any issue of it and that narrative is not true it's destructive It hurts this country. It makes us less safe. It is a lie. And it is unfortunately repeated endlessly by the BLM movement. The first BLM martyr, so to speak, the first BLM case they rallied around was Michael Brown. The left and the Black Lives Matter movement incessantly lied about that case and misrepresented that case. And they've done it in many other cases. Now here with, with the Chauvin trial, it wasn't a, it's not an issue of misrepresentation per se of, of this case. It's an issue of is this case representative of law enforcement in general and, and the state of race relations in this country right now in general. I say no. And I say we push back against this untruth. But the left will fight furiously on it because they want to translate this one case into power.
3: So, no, this verdict is not justice, frankly. I don't even think we call it full accountability because there are multiple officers that were there. It wasn't just Derek Chauvin. And... I also don't want this moment to be framed as this system working, working, because it's not working. And that's what creates a lot of complexity in this moment.
1: This is the system not working? Perhaps the intellectual and spiritual leader of the uh, younger wing of the Democrat Party today says, this is the system not working, the Chauvin verdict? Someone explain that to me, or rather, perhaps I'll explain it now because I know what she's trying to get at. This is the system not working. Um, so, what would a not guilty verdict have been? The system operating like a you know finely tuned uh, machine? I don't think so. There would have been riots. We all know that, and I'm thankful that so far there really haven't been the riots that thought that were thought imminent. So at least that I mean, that is a good thing, although it's sad that this country is in a place where the expectation is that there could be widespread riots based on one jury trial verdict. We should not be in that place as a country. That's that's just not who we are. But that's the circumstance in which we find ourselves right now. But let's get to what AOC is saying here. This is not Justice. Well, there's, as I said to you before, there's a case we made that no murder trial can ever really get someone justice. A person is dead. And if a person is killed without justification, there's no bringing them back. So there is no justice. So let's just start there. So you can just say that there's really no such thing as a justice system then. And, and I know that sounds so radical, but it also starts to line up with what the left really believes. They're not looking to reform these systems. They're looking to tear them down, They're looking to destroy them. There's a radicalism. There's there's an impulse for massive change that's at the heart of so much of this. When it benefits them in the short term politically or their power, they'll say, oh, no, we want we like this system. We'll protect this system. But the moment that it doesn't give them the desired result, they're willing to tear the whole thing down. We've seen that with everything they've said since the transfer of power from Trump to Biden. But it goes even beyond that. It's it's even more than just the hypocrisy of protecting our sacred institutions of democracy when Trump is in charge of them, at least at the executive branch, versus now completely abusing and transforming them when they're in power, right? There's something even more than that. There's just a desire at the heart of this to tear it down. Just tear it all down, you know. And it just reminds me of the rhetoric of, of Occupy Wall Street and, and leftists and, and Marxist revolutionaries all throughout history. Just just burn it down, tear it all down. And replace it with what? Listen to the things they say about law enforcement. Listen to the commentary they give on on police and policing in the country. A- abolish police. Are Are they serious? Can you imagine a, a, a more idiotic suggestion than this? But no, they, they keep saying reimagine policing. Well, reimagine it with, with what? They, sh- they should be able to explain to us what we are reimagining it with. And yet there's just this desire to express rage here. And now you have to understand that because they can't point it directly at the system. In quite the way that they would have if this had been a not guilty verdict, it goes on to we are we, you know we as a society are guilty of what Derek Chauvin did. This is the this is the thinking that became prevalent among Marxist radicals and 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 academics and journalists on the left in the 60s and 70s about crime in general. Crime was a societal dysfunction. We were all at some level. Uh, the, the basis of or, or the, the wellspring of all criminal activity that society creates criminals. Individuals don't make criminal decisions. And that influenced the way we did law enforcement and that influenced the way we did incarceration. And now that makes people feel good, right? Because if no one's responsible for their criminal actions, if society is, it's redistribution, in a sense. It's a kind of moral Marxism, right? You're redistributing the guilt to all of society. And then the state has power over those people because if you're all guilty, the state has the right to take action over all of you, and then these policies that follow are going to make criminals suffer less and the general population suffer more. More crime, less freedom, and a, a government apparatus that is dedicated to the perpetuation of that circumstance. That's what American cities were like in the in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And there really is a movement now to take us back to that, that the, the Democrat, the progressive left has gotten so far with their agenda that we're actually circling back to what they wanted 50, 50 years ago for law enforcement and major cities across the country. You know, I know we have a lot of small business owners who listen to this show or people, people who are running their own business or a company that they've started. And I'm, I'm hopeful that despite everything in the Biden administration, this is going to be a big year for small business. And I think it can be, right? I, I think that, you know, small business has that local focus and you, and you create that community of people that know what you're doing, support what you're doing, and and use your products or your services uh, but I want to make it easier for you too and help you with HR because I know that can be such a headache. In fact, when you're running a business, HR issues can kill you. I mean, you got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all these questions that come up too. like, can I dock and exempt employees pay? Uh, how do I know if I have to follow any new employment law changes? How do I approve a leave of absence? I mean, I've been in business in many ways for years, and I have no idea how to do this stuff, right? But you don't want to have to pay somebody up to $70,000 a year. That's what an HR manager is going to cost you as a full-time employee. It's about on average what it costs. So you can get a dedicated HR manager from Bambi. That's B-A-M-B-E-E, created specifically for small business. And from onboarding to terminations, Bambi's HR manager will customize your policies to fit your business. They're available by phone, email, or real time chat, and they can help you manage your employees day to day. And here's the amazing part, $99 a month, okay? Just $99 a month. No hidden fees, cancel anytime. And this is a month to month situation. So try them out. See how well it works for you. See how much this cuts down on headaches and paperwork. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash buck. One more time, all the folks out there with uh, with small businesses, this is for you. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck.
2: In order to get a nominal degree of justice in this country, that a black man has to be murdered on air Viewed by the entire world, there have to be a year's worth of protests and a phalanx of other white police officers to tell one white officer that he was wrong in order to get one scintilla of justice. That doesn't make me feel happy. That doesn't make me feel satisfied. It makes me worry about what's going to happen when these other officers are held on trial. It makes me upset all the more that we didn't have this for Breonna Taylor. It makes me concerned about what's going to happen in a trial for a Aubrey. So... No, I I mean, this is not the system working. This is a makeup call. This is the justice system trying to say that, hey, this is one bad apple, because that's how this is going to be interpreted. It's going to be this one bad apple. He got in trouble. Yay. Blah, blah, blah. And yet there's still going to be young black men and women across this country being shot today, tomorrow and two weeks from now, because unless we have some radical reform, there's no lesson learned.
1: Radical reform. That was a MSNBC commentator, Jason Johnson. Radical reform. Okay. Let's just put aside for a second, and, and, I, and I, it's not helpful right now to get into whether you think they overcharged Chauvin, whether you think Chauvin had reasonable doubt on his side, whether you think that, you know, the, the, the verdict is the verdict right now. OK, so let's let's deal with where we are currently. What does that radical reform look like? What does that mean? You're already starting to hear uh, all the politicians saying this, but uh, the Democrat politicians at least. But what is it really going to mean? What, what is this going to, to turn into? And why are there so many people who are inflating this one incident to be representative of law enforcement in general? That is slander. It's not true. And we have to hold the line on the truth here. It is not true that this is who law enforcement is. I worked with law enforcement at the NYPD up close and personal. I was helping them with counterterrorism cases. As you know, I was essentially a contract civilian bringing counterterror expertise to the largest police department in America. But I was working side by side, day in and day out, doing surveillance, uh, running informants, dealing dealing with the, the NYPD with detectives and sergeants of the NYPD every day for 18 months. And first of all, it's a very diverse department. So that often, I think, gets left out of this conversation. That a lot, a lot of our courageous, diligent public, uh, public, uh, public servants in law enforcement and public officials uh, are minorities. Right? That there are so many excellent black and Latino uh, cops all across the country working in state and local, FBI, you name it. And and they're they're all maligned by this kind of rhetoric as well. They're they're all attacked in the same way. What they're they're part of this racism. They're just doing racism all the time, but they don't even know it. Is that what we're supposed to believe? I'm sorry. I, I, I reject this assessment by the left. I, I reject their claims. And the the uh, thing that Jason Johnson here says about you know another another uh, black black men and women will be killed tomorrow and the next and the next and the next day by police. That is not what the statistics actually show us. There are also white people and other races who are being killed by cops. It happens. We live in a society. I mean, the, there, there's almost a, a, uh, a, a maniacal fixation on police-involved shootings by the left that is the whole thing is based upon inflation of the actual t- statistics, but they know it's such a powerful It's such a powerful emotional pull that the more they can talk about it, the more they can get people all riled up, and then they mobilize them, and then they have a base of power, and they have people that feel self-righteous about law enforcement. It just keeps going and going. 330 million people in America, 2019, 13 unarmed black men shot by police. Those are tragedies. We deal with them. But here's just an example of what I mean by the proportionality fallacy that is, that is often at, at work here, right? By, by not treating an incident that's an outlier as such, but as representative of the whole. There was tremendous outrage at Donald Trump on, on the left when he talked about uh, that there are some people who come to America as illegal immigrants and they do bad things. They kill people, they rape people. And that is true. Now, I also know the numbers and that it's, we're talking about less than 1% of illegal immigrants who come to America who join MS-13 and, you know, chop people up with machetes and stuff. But they do it. And and it, and even to bring it up, though, even to address this, because the argument from anti-illegal immigration people is the number should really be zero because there shouldn't be any illegal immigrants coming in year in, year out in the first place. So in that sense, they're arguing that it really should be effectively nothing because there shouldn't be any illegal immigrants coming into the country. Come up. But the moment you point out that an illegal immigrant would have committed a violent crime, the the left immediately says, how dare you? That's not representative. That's not that's not true. That's not fair. And we say, well, hold on. What about somebody that should have been deported three or four times and then commits a rape? Isn't that a failure of the state? They say, oh, that's not true. That's not representative. But you see, there are far more cases that you can point to of, of illegal immigrants committing violent crimes in this country uh, or, or drunk driving that results in a, in a homicide, a manslaughter, far more of those than you will find truly unlawful, murderous killings of minorities by law enforcement year in and year out right now. But one of them is treated like it is representative of the whole. The other, you are not even allowed to talk about it. Right. If, if left wants to just argue about how, well, that's just a small minority of illegal immigrants. And th- that's that's a fair argument to make. And, but we can still talk about, OK, well, you know, that the guy, for example, who shot the gun, who killed the woman in San Francisco, who'd been deported seven times. That feels like a failure of the state when you've been deported seven times and you still end up killing an American citizen. But what they say is you're not even allowed to talk about it at all. So the incidents aren't it's as though they are wiped away from the record entirely and you have so much of this, this, this uh, lack of good faith and fair-mindedness about law enforcement coming to the forefront with this. And they say, oh, Derek Chauvin, I mean, how, how, many, how many days do you go in, in American law enforcement without a case like this, and yet they talk about it like it's going to happen every day? Now, I know there is already... And the timing of, the, you know, we recently had the uh, we had the shooting of the of that young man in Minnesota, which was, you know, an accidental lethal force escalation. And that cop, I, I have never defended what she did. I've never said anything other than it was a tragic action accident and she should be held uh, accountable for it. But now you have another incident and the timing is highly unfortunate in Columbus, Ohio, involving an officer with an officer involved shooting. Let's let's get to this now and talk about it, because, you know, the left is already seizing on this and saying that the here here's what you hear from the media. Sixteen year old girl shot and 16 year old girl. Right. Not not even at, at the uh, you know age of 18, not yet a legal adult shot and killed by cops. Young black girl shot and killed by cops. That is. The headline, I want to get into what the details are of this incident before people start rioting and the mobs are out in the streets and saying, see, the cops are racist. Let's actually look at what happened here. We'll do that in just a second.
4: There can never be any safe harbor for hate in America. I've said it many times. The battle for soul of this nation has been a constant push and pull for more than 240 years a tug of war between the American ideal that we're all created equal and the harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. At our best, the American ideal wins out. So we can't leave this moment or look away thinking our work is done. We have to look at it. We have to, we have to look as, as we did for those nine minutes and 29 seconds. We have to listen. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Those are George Floyd's last words. We can't let those words die with him. We have to keep hearing those words. We must not turn away. We can't turn away. We have a chance to begin to change the trajectory in this country. It's my hope and prayer that we live up to the legacy.
1: What is Joe Biden really saying? I know there was a lot of stuff. I know there were a lot of words there about the importance of this moment and living up and justice and uh, all the things that he says. Okay, so what does he want us to do now? We have a justice system. We have one we have one cop who's being held accountable now for murder. He is facing his life is ruined and he's probably going to spend the rest of his of his productive years and probably the rest of his natural life in prison. What what, what does Joe Biden think now we're supposed to do? What, What is the great change that is supposed to happen? Because the way that the Democrats talk about it, the suggestion of all this rhetoric, the, the insinuation of the rhetoric is that there are some people standing saying, no, we don't want to conquer racism. No, we don't want to have law enforcement treat people with equality and dignity. No one says that. I mean, there's no movement. Of course, there's always lunatics who will say anything. But there, there is no political force or body in America who who is supportive of racist or excessive force using cops Everybody. Look, we are Americans. We all we just want to get along with each other and live our lives and be in a great country and, you know, treat each other well. I mean, that's actually who we are. We are not this racist country that Democrats keep insisting we are. We are not racists as individuals because there is a collectively racist past in this country. That's not how it works. You are responsible for what you do. You are responsible for who you are as a person. That is it. No matter what color you are, your skin color is irrelevant to, has no impact one way or the, or the other on your character or anything else about who you are as a person. Right? You are who you are and what you do. Your decency, your virtue, your actions. And I, I refuse to let the cultural Marxists and the Democrat Party pretend that whatever narrative they conjure up is somehow determining who you or I actually amount to as people. Or anyone else listening to this, anyone else that has to be put through these Biden speeches. I mean, so then that brings me to this incident in. Because here we are. It's, we just had the Chauvin trial, now we have another police involved lethal shooting in Columbus, Ohio. And. You have a, a video in which a young, a young woman, 16-year-old Makia Bryant, is shot and killed by police. It's awful. It's a tragedy. Also, based on what we're seeing, it is a justified use of force under the situation. And it is quite clearly so. We have body cam footage that is released. This was from Columbus, Ohio. We have a 16-year-old girl. There's a fight, and you have girls fighting on the street, And you have a girl who is very clear, pulls out a knife in broad daylight and is moving on video in close quarters to stab another girl, another young girl that she is having a fight with. And I'm sorry, I I know that the media likes to do this thing where they put family members on TV. I, I have sympathy for grieving family members. What family members say about an incident like this is not actually determinative of what happened. And I know this. I, I am loyal to my family to a fault. I would do anything to protect my family. And I would back up any of my family members legally in whatever way I could. And, you know, I'm, I'm always going to take their side. And I respect personal loyalty, as you know. I respect personal loyalty in my work. I respect it in my day-to-day life. I think loyalty is, you know, what separates us from from being barbarians. I think personal loyalty is essential. So, of course, parents, a a grieving parent is going to say, um, you know, my daughter, she was a beautiful, gentle soul, and they're allowed to say this, and I, I don't dispute this, and, you know, parents, it's what a horrible thing for a parent to go through to lose a child. But the media presents this as though the narrative of grieving parents is fact, whereas in this case, we have body cam footage and you have a girl who it is absolutely crystal clear in the video is armed with a knife at close quarters and is a second away from possibly stabbing another young girl to death in broad daylight in front of a police officer, and she is shot, this is textbook legal use of force for a police officer. If a cop cannot draw and use his or her weapon when a person is engaged in a violent felony and attempted murder in broad daylight 10 feet away from them, then police do not actually have the right to defend themselves or you with force. Now, I believe in this case, the footage is so clear that it will be hard for Black Lives Matter to turn this into another, you know, another use of force incident based in racism and the evil system and everything else. I'm telling you this right now. Any cop based on his or her training in this country, in this circumstance, would have and, and should have deployed lethal force to stop this from happening. You cannot watch someone get stabbed to death because there's a narrative out there about unjust police officers. I'm sorry, any human being armed in this circumstance, he's yelling, put it down, put it down, put it down. The knife is in the hand. Another young girl, does that other young girl have a right to live? Or does she have to feel a blade plunged into her over and over, killing her in broad daylight in front of a police officer? That was the choice the cop had. And you see that already BLM just views this, the Democrat Party views this as an opportunity to push the narrative. The facts be damned. The facts here are clear enough. The horrible judgment here was on the part of a young girl. I know she's only 16, but you cannot assault somebody with a lethal weapon and try to kill them in front of a police officer. The criminal culpability, the moral culpability here lies not with the officer, but with the young woman who paid for it with her life. It is a tragedy, but this is this is not police excessive force. A lot of economic uncertainty out there right now, but... You know, the stock market's actually doing pretty well. And it could be inflation, fears from the Fed that are getting you down. It could be a lot of things. But I want you to approach this with clarity right now and know that even in a choppy economic situation, even difficult times, you can make money in the stock market, but you got to know who to go with. If you're like me, I'm trading pretty actively. I'm not quite a day trader, but I'm investing. and I'm checking every day. And, you know, I had a I had a good year last year. But I'm having a better year this year because of my friends at Carnivore Trading. All right. They've spotted some key indicators that they think means big profits are going to be coming. But Wall Street experts are going to miss a lot of it. That's why Carnivore Trading is for you. They're an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And all you do is subscribe to Carnivore. It's a very minimal fee month to month and you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades. So Carnivore tells you, hey, you know, you've got your, your E-Trade account or your Vanguard or your T, you know, TD Ameritrade, whatever it is you're using as your trading platform, Carnivore's going to send you text messages, we're going in on this trade, get in on this. And it's all transparent. You go on their site, you see what they're doing, and they're just trying to make you money, and their track record speaks for itself. You can mirror their trades with whatever broker you use or just wait to one that you really believe in But once you see the way that they do, I think you're going to realize that you should get in on the carnivore trades. They guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription. That's right. Five times your monthly subscription or double your money back just by mirroring their trades. So you don't have really anything to lose here in the sense that they're going to get you back your money from your subscription service. And you got a lot to gain if you make a lot on these trades that they're going to put out there for you. The market looks to be on the verge of a huge upswing. Get off the sidelines and get in on Carnivore's Trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com. That's right. The website is GetOurTrades.com. And use promo code Buck. GetOurTrades.com. Promo code Buck. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance. Not a guarantee of future earnings.
5: Well, it was an important step forward. And... It lays the foundation, hopefully, for the Congress to come together, act decisively, uh, to create a greater level of accountability and justice and police reform here in America. When we all saw that video, members of Congress saw it, America saw it, the world saw it, I think it was obvious to everyone that this was, this was a murder that took place in cold blood. Thankfully, there's been confirmation. There's no joy in that confirmation. I think there is relief here on Capitol Hill, Uh, but we've got to to turn the actions of those who stood up, who spoke up, who showed up across America. Young Americans in particular of every race who wanted both justice in the case of George Floyd and we've got justice but also want change that is sustainable and transformational. And that's our next task that perhaps is the most important task that we can undertake at this moment.
1: Now, the Justice Department has already announced, according to the New York Times here, a broad investigation of Minneapolis. What do you think they're going to find? What do you think they're going to find? They're going to look into this and they're going to say, well, uh, they're going to find... And the DOJ, I'm sure they'll turn over everything, look into everything. They'll say, oh, well, here's a an insensitive meme that was shared from one law enforcement officer to another. Or here's the disparity in in speeding tickets that were given out. Or, you know, they're going to look at all these these issues. They're going to put they're going to put the Minneapolis Police Department under the microscope because they're pretending this means they're going to have a non racist police force when this is all done or a much less racist police force think about what the real ramifications of this will be um, think about how this is going to how this is going to play out first of all as we know um, there are there are laws for which there's a disparate impact on the minority community in this country in many many places all across the country uh, for example it has long been known that the the uh, war on drugs and the criminalization of possession and sale of different substances has had an outsized impact on the, the black community in America. Now, there are plenty of white people who get uh, sent away for the same sent away for those crimes, too, and people get lengthy sentences for trafficking. That happens as well. But it, it has a disproportionate impact on the black community. Is is that to say, then, that if. They find this is true in Minneapolis. Is that evidence of racism? Uh, There are a disproportionate number of shootings in major cities that involve members of the black and Latino community. So when they look into these numbers, when they look at prosecutions and arrests for serious violent crimes, when there's a disproportionate number, again, not uh, not by any means exclusive to any group, but when there's a disproportionate number, Is that evidence of a racist police force or are the police just responding to whomever is committing certain crimes without respect to what group they happen to come from? You know, this is where you start to get at some very central questions about our criminal justice system. What is going to be used as evidence of racism in the Minneapolis Police Department? Remember when they did this after they did this after the Mike Brown case in Ferguson Missouri, uh, essentially a suburb of St. Louis, very similar in a way to uh, where the recent shooting was in Brooklyn Center, which is really a suburb of Minneapolis. Right? These are areas where we're talking about these places that are really extensions of the city is what I'm trying to say. So in, in Ferguson, which is really St. Louis uh, or next door to St. Louis, they had this they had the, George, the Mike Brown case and then they, they put this whole DOJ investigation together you know Eric Holder's DOJ under the Obama administration they looked for everything they could find and they they had this report about you know so the structural racism of fines for more minor offenses and who can pay it and everything else do you think that do you think that Ferguson has gotten safer since then do you think more people have signed up for the police department you, th- you think more individuals are saying you know what I want to put my life on the line for a police department uh, that has that that is, is given oversight by politicians who will feed me to the lion, so to speak, the moment that the politics demanded. Do you think that's going to really increase recruitment? And also, what kind of recruits are you getting? What kind of recruits are you getting? I mean, can you imagine you're this this officer on Ohio? And now this has become a national news story. Officer white officer shoots 16 year old black girl is the story that's being presented and, and that is, those are true facts of the story, comma, there's also the fact that she was trying to stab to death another young black girl right in front of the police officer on video, and we can all see it. Are we supposed to wait till the knife goes into the girl's throat before the cop can do something about it? Now, I ask you these questions, and you and I, if you listen to this show, there's, a, there's an understanding. I mean, you, you are a, a discerning person who wants to be informed and likes truth. And I say that I'm I'm being 100 percent serious. If you listen to the show, you're already making an affirmative decision that that you like the truth. You want to know what's real. Um, But just because I say things like, do we have to wait until the, the, the person has actually stabbed this innocent girl or this girl that she's in a fight with the first time? The second time you would say, well, of course, Buck's point is made. There are there are Democrats out there who would say, well, maybe it wasn't going to be a lethal stab. Maybe she was going to stop at the last moment. You don't know. Essentially arguing that lethal use of force for law enforcement is always excessive and to be questioned. You know, that, that, cops, that a cop has to die before a cop could use lethal force or somebody else has to die. An innocent person has to die before lethal force can be used on an aggressor. And I, I know that sounds like lunacy because it is, but there are people who believe it. There are people who believe this stuff. And, and they say it and they make demands about it. And they're now going to have this big DOJ investigation of Minneapolis. Minneapolis has had a huge spike in crime in the last year. Minneapolis had a police department burned to the ground. I mean, I asked the, the current and retired law enforcement officers that listen to this show. Would you want to be a cop in Minneapolis right now? whether you're white, black, Asian, Latino or anything else would you want to be a cop in Minneapolis? I wouldn't. If I, you know, I have I have an uncle who's who was a uh, now retired, he's retired LAPD and was also Savannah uh, Savannah Georgia PD before that. And and he he was a he was a patrolman, a beat cop basically, his whole career never wanted to take the uh The test to uh, to go and he just he liked being on the street. He thought that's what cop that's what being a cop was. If if I were having a conversation with him and he was saying, you know, I want to come out of retirement. I'm gonna go. I'd say go to Minneapolis be a cop. You're crazy. Deal with that right now. I'm I'm sure he wouldn't want to do it. So my my opinion is also informed by on all these things having somebody who's who's a family member that I know well that I grew up with who joined law enforcement because. He wanted to protect people and make them feel safe. That was why he became a cop. That's why my uncle was a cop. You know, it's his whole career, his whole life. And I'm going to tell you, my grandparents on that side, they were they were pretty well off. I mean, he went to he went to, you know, he went to fancy school. I know there are lots of cops who go to you know, elite schools. That happens all the time. But, you know, he could have done anything. He wanted to be a cop like so many of you because he wanted to protect people and make them safe and contribute to his community people become law enforcement officers. I mean, if you just want to make you know, if you just want to make money, become a tugboat captain. Those guys crush it, you know? I mean, you know, they really do they make like 250 grand a year, I think more than that. You know, there are, there are other ways. If you just want to show up do a job, there are other ways to to make a living where you don't have people trying to stab you with rusty screwdrivers or slap you with uh, with frying pans when you're not looking during a domestic dispute, right? But right now the politics of it are that it's Beneficial to some to slander and undermine law enforcement. And so that's what gets done. And it just makes me sad. What are the reforms that they really want? They keep talking about radical reform, too. If I say I want radical reform of the school system, I could actually, which I do when it comes to talk about the, the public school system. Oh, I can tell you what I want. I want school choice. I want vouchers. I want parents to have full decision making over where they're going to go. And these days I would even probably argue for the, the abolition of the Department of Education. And there's, there's a But oh, oh, we're going to talk radical. I'll talk to you radical and I'll defend all these different positions. So so in a sense, I, I know what it is to have radical beliefs based on where the system is now. And I, I got all kinds of ideas about the educational system, the public school system in this country. And and what kind of curriculum that people are being taught and what standards needs to be need to be and how we need a, a free market for the dollars that are allocated to teaching by having vouchers for parents and being able to pick the schools. And oh, man, we could go in this all day. When you talk about law enforcement, radical reform, when you hear the Democrats discuss law enforcement, radical reform, it's a lot of rhetoric. You know, we're going to get rid of we're going to confront our racist past. So we're going to get rid of. OK, how? And the how is the question that they have the most trouble with, because when they either don't have answers or they start to say things that have you turn around and say, that's that sounds crazy to me, abolish police, defund police, do they want to make police better or do they want to eliminate cops? They're not even sure about that. But let's put them in control. Let's put the Democrat left Marxists in control of law enforcement in America. That's going to work out really well.
3: The climate crisis is a crisis born of injustice. And it is a crisis born of the pursuit of profit at any and all human and ecological cost. Which means that we must recognize in legislation that the trampling of indigenous rights is a cause of climate change. The, the trampling of racial justice is a cause of climate change because we are allowing people and we are allowing ourselves to make sure, to, we are allowing folks to deny ourselves human rights and deny people the right to health care, the right to housing and education.
1: AOC is, is such a, a well-practiced Marxist demagogue at this point that I, I will tell you, I'm almost impressed by her ability to string together concepts and words that don't really mean anything but sound like they should. What was this? Suppression of indigenous rights is a cause of climate change? Denial of health care is a cause of climate change? I mean, it, it, does, it does force the question what isn't a cause of climate change? You know, what, what is not actually going to cause climate change? And, and when you really start to break this down, you, you find that really any, any human activity, including breathing, is technically a cause of climate change. So you can see the appeal, the the religious fervor behind this is tied to the fact that it, it creates a basis for government absolutism. It creates a basis for doing exactly what the left wants to do in every and any situation. And if you stand against it, you're either a, a denier, which that, that term is used, as you know, to try to link climate change questioning even to Holocaust denial. So you're somebody that, that denies one of the, you know, the worst atrocities in all human history and you're denying the end of the world from climate change. They, they try to tie these things together. This, these are rhetorical tricks. This is slimy, underhanded tactic of of debate and and of polemicists without ethics, which is what AOC and so many of these Democrats are. Um, it, it's just remarkable, though, to hear somebody who, I mean, I, I, I turned on, uh, I was scrolling through, you know, Instagram and Twitter to see quick reactions yesterday after the verdict, just to sort of see what's, to give you a, a, give myself a broad sense, other than just the main news stories that were being posted about it, and I stumbled upon, sure enough, AOC's tw- uh, Twitter account, and it was, I think there were 50,000, or no, it was her Instagram account. I think there were 50,000 people watching her live, which is a lot of people to get watching an in Instagram live, and, and all the comments were, yeah, you're speaking the truth, yeah, you're, and I'm, I was sitting here, and I was, I'm honestly troubled. For the, I see this, and I think to myself, what is happening to us? That that this this woman is held up as as a not just a hero, but as as an intellectual and as a leader and as somebody with good ideas. I literally cannot understand what she is saying sometimes because it is such blather. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to a person who is quite well practiced and with a wide uh, wide range of philosophical training and a pretty big vocabulary i still do not understand i'm like what i kind of get what she's saying but not really and people are just clapping and cheering and i i I worry about the future of this country oh but aoc also wants you to know that this 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 is a classic what about this is you want to know what whataboutism is it's when maxine waters throws fuel on the fire says go confront protesters Two protesters flying of course on a private plane to minneapolis to tell the protesters how she stands with them here's aoc
6: what do you think of the uh, censure resolution that the republicans are going to put up against waters for saying that the protesters should be more confrontational based oh, on the I result mean, of the trial i mean
3: this is what they do they just try to impeach everybody they try to censure everybody You notice they're doing all this because they don't have any ideas of their own. Right. They don't. I can't even think of the last time they introduced a piece of legislation that was actually proactive in solving the problems that we have instead of them inventing a crisis. And it's like, you know, for a bunch of people who care so much about alleged cancel culture, they're out here trying to censure everybody in the book for anything they don't agree with.
1: Uh, So so it's. Yeah, it's what Maxine Waters said is fine because the GOP doesn't have good policy ideas. Oh, oh, OK. Yeah, she's really engaging with the substance on this one. I, I don't say this to be amusing, and I, I actually don't like saying mean things, as you know. It, it, one of, the, one of the, the knocks on me that's always existed in, in media is that, I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm probably too nice. AOC's a moron but a very powerful one who's a very skilled demagogue, but she is not very bright. I'm Has bad judgment, doesn't know very much, but she sounds the part, you know, she says the thing, she mouths the preferred slogans of Marxism, and, and people just clap and cheer and think she's amazing. And I sit around thinking, this person, you know, she's, she's part of a, of a leftist surge in this country that's really seeking to destroy things that are really dangerous and damaging in a profound way and and that's what that's what I see but especially the young people young leftists I just what is wrong with them they really just can't see reality at all they can't see things for what they are at all uh, it know I sound like a you know a grumpy old man when I talk about this I get it, but I do have real concerns. I have real worries about where this is taking us but anyway we'll we'll get into we'll we'll stay in the fight friends that's all I can promise you here on the show we'll speak the truth we'll stay in the fight. that is what we do and uh, I'm gonna be at the border for the next couple of days and then I'm gonna come back and tell you about what the fight is over immigration, what the real situation is so get ready for that It's really important these days that you Find those things to look forward to and that you take some time to enjoy yourself, enjoy your enjoy your time with family. Enjoy those moments at home when it's just about what you need, what you want. And as you know, during this pandemic and and all the time that we've been separated from each other, not able to see each other. One thing that has at least kept me going is cooking and and spending some time just crafting and creating in the kitchen. You know, I'm really into cooking. I, I enjoy it a lot. And I got to have the best possible produce. I, I need the the product, as they'd call it, in a restaurant setting that will allow me to make the best food I can. And that's Moink. I got to tell you, I made this roast chicken recently with Moink that was just the best chicken I've ever made. And now, yeah, I've got some decent skills and I know how to you know season it and herb it and everything else. But, I mean, you got to have the best meat. And Moink is amazing. And it delivers it right to your door grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon. And it helps family farms become financially independent without big agriculture calling all the shots. So you get this moink meat delivered right to your home. Their animals are raised outdoors. Their fish swim wild in the ocean and they have no antibiotics, hormones, sugar, any of that junk in the meat. It's just the best stuff you can get. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm going to be defrosting a ribeye as soon as I get home from my border trip, and that's going to be my little present to myself, a Moink ribeye, it's the best. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com buck right now, and listen to the show. Get free ground beef for a year. That's right, Moink, M-O-I-N-K, box.com buck. Have a Moink box delivered to your door. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. And plus, this is a great deal because it's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but only for a limited time. Moinkbox.com slash buck.
4: All of these things are good. These are popular things, but more important than popular, they're great things for this country. They're going to rip apart your Second Amendment. They're doing things to this country that Bernie Sanders would have said impossible. And I don't know if Joe knows what's going on with it because I think you have a cabal. You have a group of people that are sitting around a table just saying, do this, do this, do this. They're giving them these things to sign. It's hard to believe. Now, we're going to take back the House in 22. We have a real chance.
1: We are, I believe, going to take back the House. I think the former president here is correct. I know he said he is very seriously considering his own run. And as I've told you all along, the greatest salesperson for the Republican Party is the Democrat Party with the things that they actually do. Democrats are good at propaganda because they control the media and they control academia and Hollywood. They're good at messaging and pushing people based on emotion. They're not good at reason. They are not good at rational, at results-based, at common sense or logical. Those are the places where they fail, and you're already seeing those failures now the attack on law enforcement overall is so damaging and going to be so harmful to communities all across the country, there's going to just continue to be these elevated levels of murder in cities, of, of mayhem on the streets, of places where there's so-called activism going on. This isn't going to stop. In fact, it's likely to get worse. And people, now, we can't convince... 30% of, of voters of Democrats. You know, when Hillary talked about deplorables, when Mitt Romney talked about uh, what was it? Makers and, and takers or something along those lines. Th- th- there's some truth to the fact that the other side in politics, you're going to have people that no matter what happens, they're going to just go along with what they're told. You see this. And it's one of the reasons why I found the whole lockdown and mass debate. So frustrating people, there, there's a, a big chunk of the left that they they listen like a like a religious sect. They listen to what the high priests tell them, whatever the New York Times editorial page and MSNBC and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden kind of. But we all know that there are puppeteers pulling the strings there. Whatever they say, there are people on the left who go. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. And it's troubling to it's troubling to watch this play out. But there are people there are a lot of residents of the state of California, the state of New York, uh, the, you know, find me a a very deep blue state and a major city. in it. And there are a lot of people in those places who would still vote Democrat, who would still support the anti-cop rhetoric and and the the critical race theory garbage that's being taught to kids and, and all the. The Marxist malarkey that's being spewed all the time, even as hyperinflation hit, cities were burning, violence was spiking and people really were depressed about the state of the country. There are people who would say we just need I got a fever and the only prescription is more Pelosi. They will never change. They will go to their very end believing that somehow Cops are the bad guys. Critical race theory is justice for this country. That Marxism doesn't ignore basic human impulses and incentives, but is somehow possibly uh, can possibly create a utopian society. They will believe that no matter what. And I really, it doesn't matter what happens to the country, they're in it because ultimately. They can't, their neurons, I mean, the, the processes going on in their brains, they can't switch back from this religious belief in the left. So we can't win them over. The only way to help them is to beat them politically at the ballot box, to have political power in the hands of sane, constitutionalist conservatives, and protect them from their bad ideas. And I mean that. Now, so when I tell you that that the Democrat Party is the single greatest ally of uh, the Republican messaging, that's only true for maybe five percent of voters nationwide, 10 percent of voters. But that's what makes the difference right now. That is the that is the uh, the cohort, the contingency here that makes or the contingent, rather, that makes a difference. And. You, you see this now with with the way that, you know, the numbers show you who supports Biden up to this phase and who doesn't. It's exactly what you would expect. Basically, Biden voters. Everyone else thinks he's doing a crap job. He is doing a crap job. Where's the optimism? It's just being a Democrat. And I think more and more about this. It just strikes me as so depressing. You know, it's short term gain psychologically for long term pain. Yeah, you get to put BLM on your on your Instagram page or your Facebook page. And, yeah, you get to you get to watch CNN at night and act like you're some kind of civil part of some civil rights, you know, heroism because you hate cops and you showed up to some march in Times Square where they were screaming about how cops are all racist and bad. Cops are just our fellow Americans doing a very important job. And 99% of them are doing it very well, or at least doing it, right? Not being criminals, not racist, not breaking any laws, not abusing any people. You know, over 99% of them are doing a really good job. But that gets lost in all this because people want to feel important. They want to feel powerful. And that is part of the seduction that the Democrat Party has going on right now. All you have to do is sign on. All you have to do is walk around saying, I believe in climate change. I, I don't think that I'm a a better person than anybody else. I don't think I'm superior to them. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, there, there's something about me that is inherently better than the climate change alarmist because they're wrong on this issue. And I'm right. I just don't want them making things more painful, more annoying, uh, more difficult, less free because of their bad ideas. But I don't walk around thinking, oh, well, I understand this better than therefore I'm a better person. I kind of feel sorry for them at some level that they could be so easily brainwashed. It must be a really troubling thing to go through life as so many leftists do and always think to yourself, as long as I'm part of the herd, I'm safe and warm and fed. And that's all that matters. And that is what the left believes. That is what the Democrat Party believes trains people to do. And I know you'd say, "Well, there's so many intellectuals. Uh, there's so many academics and there are scientists and there are all these other people that are part of the Democrat Party. Well, those are individuals who, yes, they, they, have, they have high IQ and they have some degree of, of specialization in one area, but they lack intellectual courage. I mean, to be a leftist on a college campus, for example, and have a PhD and teach at Yale, they're not actually defending ideas that are under assault. They're not taking positions that require them to show how adept they are on on the battlefield of ideas. They're just the best at echoing the rest. So you have a lot of that going on. But I, I do think it would just be so depressing and unnerving and, and would really create, and I mean this, deep psychological difficulties to always be walking around and acting like you're, you're never good enough unless you trash America, you talk about how awful and evil and racist America is all the time, you trash police, you trash capitalism, you uh, you believe the world is going to end unless we put Al Gore's climate change plan of action into the mix or, or Bill Gates or you name it, Leonardo DiCaprio. What a, what a sad waste of time it all is. I, I do wish that politics was less important in this country than it is i mean if i'll tell you the truth if if it were if it were um a different political time where i felt like this country was on a pretty even keel i would love to be involved in just creative projects to just do more more history and write novels and you know explore the human condition i really would i mean there's maybe i'm telling team buck right now i've got the at some level the soul of a poet or something But I I feel as though I just I have to stay in this fight. I I have to speak the truth to you every day because we're just surrounded. We're just under siege from lies and bad ideas and wrong stuff constantly, constantly. It's all over the place. You're being bombarded with it. And I have to tell you, if these ideas were better if they were more sensible. uh, I don't think they'd have to push so hard. I don't think they'd be so terrified of free speech. I don't think the left would be always trying to find ways to use force in place of persuasion. You know, you see this, you know, they have control of the government right now. And instead of being magnanimous, instead of they they didn't try to bring the country together at all. No, in fact, it really feels like a bunch of enraged, frenzied children are running the White House right now, and they're just looking to, you know, throw things at the other side as much as they can, make all kinds of demands. These aren't good ideas. The Green New Deal, and all this stuff we're talking about with where infrastructure that's not really infrastructure, our roads and bridges are not falling down. That's just not true. One of the great lies the Democrat Party constantly tells, or I should say the construct of the lie, is they'll say... They'll find something that does happen, and then they'll refer to it happening in a way that you think it happens all the time. So they'll say, uh, you know, our roads and bridges are crumbling. And I'll say that that's not true. I've, I've been on a lot of roads, a lot of bridges you go all over the country. Our roads and bridges are not all crumbling. And they'll say, oh, well, look at this. Here's a here's a report about, a, you know, about a bridge in uh, in, you know, Albany or in You know, Allegheny or in you name it, Oshkosh, there's a bridge that's falling. You say, okay, but you really the whole country needs to focus on falling bridges and crumbling roads or falling roads and crumbling bridges or whatever because of this. Same thing with police violence, they'll say that, you know, unarmed, unarmed minorities are are shot by cops. That is true. It is also incredibly rare, thankfully. And it is not a reflection of what is happening day in and day out with law enforcement across the country. It is not a reflection of that. But they find something that does happen and they make it seem like it happens all the time because they they create a greater perception of urgency that way, which gives them more leeway to do whatever it is they want to do. You you could almost call it's it's like a proportionality, uh, a, a proportionality distortion technique. I might have to come up with a better way of saying it, but I think that's a pretty good description. Proportional uh, proportionality distortion, which sounds like something maybe you'd read a geometry textbook in a sophomore year of high school. But it it gets to the idea here. They make it seem like something is much more common than it is. So they have leeway to do what they want politically when this is just a a perception bias issue then and that's you see it all over the place. But we are going to suffer because of these policies. And I believe that the country will suffer enough. Unfortunately, that's going to have to happen, but it will suffer enough that eventually we will have Republicans in control again. Because you see from this Biden administration, they're good at throwing mud at the other side. They're not good at actually making anything better.
6: There's an organized campaign started to make big business punish the people of Georgia for their political choices. When you make political comments, and it hurts people's pocketbooks, it ought to be something everybody would be offended by. Most infamously, Major League Baseball moved the All-Star Game from Atlanta, a move that's likely to cost the city's economy 100 million jobs, and that's affecting the income of uh, Georgians and probably some jobs in Georgia. A state senator lost his job at a prominent law firm after political activist took a break from fleecing their donors to get him fired for his work as a citizen legislator. When partisans and companies collude to ruin the livelihoods of their opponents, there's a term for that. It's economic terrorism. The American people don't like this.
1: Senator Grassley pulling no punches here over what wokeness has done to the state of Georgia. But I think this is a good example of what I've been trying to say here on the show today about uh, Democrat policies and how it affects people. They affect people negatively. They hurt people. But only some people will actually see this for what it is. A lot of other people will feel like. They'll believe the excuses or they're so into the the personal brand, the, the the personal glorification of being a part of the cause. That even though nothing is actually accomplished by moving the Major League uh, All-Star game to Denver, as much as I love the city of Denver, and you know that we got we've uh, we've got a great audience in Denver. I always so appreciate uh, Freedom 93.7. In the in Denver, and uh, we're the number one show across all formats in our time slot there. So just putting that out there, Denver's a top fifty city for markets, and we are uh, we're number one. So that's that's pretty nice. So thank you, Denver. But I mean, we're talking about Georgia's loss here. A Georgia lost the All Star game, hundred million dollars plus of revenue. You'd think that anybody affected by this would automatically say, "Wow, Democrats hurt me." Just so they can feel good about themselves. They they take money out of my pocket. I didn't do anything if I'm a Georgia business owner or if I'm somebody that was affected economically by the move of the of the Major League Baseball game. And yet it, it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter to some people. They'll just say, oh, well, you know, this was I guess this was the price we had to pay to seem more woke or something. You see what I mean? You know, there's there's results, there's data, there's fact. That, and, and then there's what people do in response to it. Democrat governance is bad, right? The Democrats ruin cities across the country. They ruin states that get too blue. They make people's lives worse. The, the, the con- current Democrat Party is making things worse for people. And it's our job to make sure that at least enough independents and, and some portion of Democrats realize this and understand the only way this gets better is if they take power out of the hands of the people that are doing this stuff to them because otherwise it's just more you know Cuomo's and Whitmers and Newsoms and and Pelosi's and Schumer's and Bidens and I know you're going to have nightmares if I keep going right but this is the reality we face don't you always wonder when there are these situations of extreme wokeness that come to public attention don't you wonder sometimes if some of the other people involved at the institution are in agreement with the person whose time it is to get dragged and ruined and destroyed because you know they they thought that it was okay to make banh mi sandwiches in the cafeteria cultural appropriation or you know whatever it may be right don't you ever wonder if there are other people well it turns out in one of the more prominent cases uh, of this recently here in new york city There is somebody else at the institution, and and I'll get to that in just a second because it just shows you people are such frauds on this issue. But, you know, these days you want to get ahead of what's coming, right? We all know that this is a really uncertain time, and you just want to make sure you're taking those proactive steps today today. As you're doing all these things, right, buying a home, starting families, or building your family and trying to secure your long-term financial future, you need to add to the list of things to do, setting up a trust or will for yourself, okay? No matter how old you are or where you are in this process of building your life, you want to have a will or trust done, and trustandwill.com is the place to do it. They make estate planning simple, convenient, and secure. I've been on their site and gone through the process. It's so straightforward and quick. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who would get all your stuff, and plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your home, just on your computer. You know, usually if you hire a traditional estate attorney, that can cost you thousands of dollars, and they often use a one-size-fits-all template. It's not specialized enough. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts, And they're customized for the specific state you live in. So I've used this interface. Like I said, it's so easy. You'll get it done. And they'll send you the actual physical documents in the mail. So you'll have those for your records. Plus, you have the digital copy. And it's so easy. And you got to do this. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash buck. And you'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at com slash buck. That website, one more time, trustandwill.com slash buck. The ultra-woke Grace Church School in Manhattan. Over $50,000 a year tuition to have, you know, Little little Tommy or little Mikey or little Susie or whatever, you know, whatever your kid's name is, uh, to have your child indoctrinated in critical race theory, left wing, cultural Marxism, all kinds of nonsense. Right. To to learn all about white supremacy theory and and all this stuff that has become fashionable on the left. Recently, there was this teacher, a a Mister Rossi, uh, who wrote about this. Right? He he wrote about this, and it it got a lot of attention because of just how much it did seem like the the old uh, Mao struggle sessions. Paul Rossi was the teacher's name. You know, the Maoist struggle sessions, where where it's all a question of not just believing, but the. The extreme degree of your belief, it's not enough to just say, hey, we're going to accept your left wing indoctrination. Um, Sometimes they just have to feed somebody into the machinery to prove how important it is to believe. Right. Sometimes they just have to make an example of somebody as a a kind of motivation to the others. Remember Voltaire? Sometimes you have to hang one general as motivation for the others. So that's what was going on here um, where where this guy Rossi, he writes about what's going on at this school. And, and I know it's easy for you probably to think wherever you are across the country, because I know this show stretches coast to coast. And with the uh, podcast listening too, we have people in, in literally all 50 states. And and so it's easy to think, oh, well, this isn't happening at schools in my in my state. Um, unfortunately, it is. <laughs> so this is everywhere now. It's just a question of degree. It's not in every school, but there are schools in every state, certainly the public schools. And now you see this, the private schools, even the very expensive private schools, which is kind of strange, isn't it? You wouldn't expect this degree of cultural Marxism from a fifty thousand dollar grammar, fifty thousand dollar a year grammar school. But actually, I guess it does make sense, right? Because the absurdity of the elites in this country is something you can never underestimate. Anyway, there's actual audio, though, now that's this is this is adding to this story because Paul Rossi, this teacher at the uh, at the Grace Church School, who wrote a really eloquent takedown of wokeness and the woke insanity. He spoke with George Davison, who is the principal of the Grace Church School. I believe they call it now head of school. They used to in my day and Grace Church, just so you know, is a rival to the Catholic school. I went to a Catholic uh, school uh, in Manhattan called St. David's. So Grace Church and St. David's were, were rival institutions. I mean, there are a few that would maybe fit into that rival category, but we played them in sports, and I'm, I'm familiar with this school. Uh, I can assure you my school was not, at the time, anywhere near anywhere near $50,000 a year, and I went to a, uh, a Catholic school, a high school that was a full scholarship school. So my high school cost $20 a year. But this is a whole other. I mean that actually twenty dollars a year uh, was the laboratory fee you had to pay as a student. And that was it. So that's a conversation I'll tell you about or a story I'll tell you another time. But anyway, here's George Davison and the the Grace Church School head. Oh, they used to call it a headmaster is what I was going to say. Can't say headmaster anymore. Then, in fact, they used to give out awards at schools in, in New York called the headmaster's award you know, for the best student in the class, basically valedictorian. Can't call it that anymore because can't use the de- I, I'm wondering when they're going to decide. And I mean this, that you can't get a master's degree because, oh, there's there's some association with the term can't get a master's degree. You know, you, you get a I don't know what they would even call it, but they call it head of school now instead of headmaster. Here's George Davison, the principal, another way of saying it, the principal of the private Grace Church School speaking to Rossi. And you hear turns out the principal kind of agrees with Rossi. Play it.
0: Let me ask you something, George, because I think those are I think there's something very different about having a single experience where you make sense of it, right? And having a teacher, an authority figure, talk to you endlessly every year, telling you that because you have whiteness you are associated with evils, all these different evils. These are moral evils. It's not the same as taking like a physical thing because it doesn't affect your, your, your moral value.
7: That's the problem. The, 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 the fact is that I'm agreeing with you that there has been a demonization that we need to get our hands around in the way in which people are doing this understanding. Okay, so you agree that you, we're demonizing kids? We're demonizing
0: um, kid. We're, we're demonizing white people for being born. And, uh, and are some of our no, students white no, people? No. What are some of our students white people? Yes. Okay, so we're demonizing white. We're demonizing white kids. Why don't you just say it? We are.
7: I, we are using language that makes them feel less than um, for nothing that they are personally responsible for.
1: He is. He is saying that they are demonizing. This is the principle of this this ultra-elite school in New York City. As I said, it it costs, you know, not all that much less than going to Harvard, and this is for first graders, second graders, third graders, demonizing white children because of their skin color as part of this critical race theory training that these schools all do, uh, that that they do because otherwise... They're afraid of being called racist institutions. So they do the critical race theory, and then they demonize, as, as these are the words of the principal and the teacher, they are demonizing white kids. Hmm. We've got a little more of this conversation. Play it.
7: You, you, you can have, and I'm happy to keep debating, and I don't actually have any doubt because I've known you for nine years, of your sincerity in your belief. And I also um, have grave doubts about some of the doctrinaire stuff that gets spouted at us in the name of anti-racism. Like what? And, and, and so I, I don't disagree entirely with some of your points of view. Can you elaborate?
0: Because it would help me. It would help me understand, like, what's going on.
7: I think that one of the things that's going on a little too much, and we've talked about this, is that um, the demonization of being white um, and, and the attempt to link anybody who's white to the perpetuation of white supremacy. Thank you.
1: Hmm. Here's a guy who had, who is essentially disciplining this teacher, Rossi, who's the other voice you're hearing, saying, yeah, no, there's a demonization of whiteness that is going on as part of the curriculum at the school that he as the principal runs. Why is he doing this? Even though he knows it's bad, because people are terrified of the woke mob. I've been telling you all the economy is really feeling iffy right now there's some good things happening some bad things happening the Biden administration trillions of dollars tax is probably going to get raised if you're like me and you've been involved in the markets for the last year in particular seen a lot of things happen I, I had a decent year but I want to have great years and I want to prepare for some really uncertain uh, waters ahead here so I want to bring in some experts and that's why I want you to know about carnivore trading Right now, we've got the founder and a trader at Carnivore Trading joining us, Dutch, to talk about all this. Dutch, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Let's start with what what is it that, that you do? I mean, before I get into where you think all this is going and all the different economic indicators and people going crazy over crypto and is the market overheated, I, I want to get to that. But first, what is it you do at Carnivore Trading?
8: So the Carnivore family... Uh, We call ourselves the carnivores. You know, we send out live text messages and updates uh, real time uh, sharing what it is that we are trading in our own accounts and our own money. They can choose, our carnivore family can choose what they want to do. They can do the trade, not do the trade. We don't manage money. We don't want accounts. We're not, we don't gather up accounts and we don't manage money for people. We just manage our own money and we share what we're doing. So that's kind of what we do. And we have some major league money managers, hedge funds, brokers and Wall Street people that are queuing off our trades. But we also have, you know, lots and lots of regular folks that are kind of new to the market, don't really know sort of all the trading rules and they're not that sophisticated, but they're smart. okay, and they have money and they want to learn. And so we use the opportunity uh, at the end of each day to send a market wrap-up, which is a educational uh, and also an update of what happened during the day. It's kind of entertaining. It's funny. But we promote the idea of learning the way your grandpa taught you or your father. You know, you didn't learn how to, to change a tire without going in the garage and actually changing the tire. So we want people to actually open an account at their favorite brokerage firm or discount broker or wherever. And um, then they subscribe to carnivore and they start getting the ideas and they start learning.
1: Now let's talk about what kind of things you see coming here with what we're facing right now in the economy. We're coming out of a pandemic. It feels like it's a little bit of a slower reopen. than I think a lot of us had anticipated. There's supposed to be a lot of money on the sidelines and, and people I think because they've been home and and they've been spending less on on vacation and and travel and just a whole array of things have been as you alluded to, people are getting more involved in the markets now, just everyday folks than ever before, and that's why it's so important for them to get some sense of what's happening here. Well, what do you see going on? I mean, I have people that I know who do this for a living who are telling me. The market is is overheated and we're due for a major 20, 30 percent correction. I got people telling me that inflation is is inevitable at this point. But then there are others who are saying, including uh, Art Laffer, the guy behind the Laffer curve, told me, look, there's so much money on the sidelines and more and more people getting involved. This year is going to be great, even with the Biden administration being a disaster on some of these issues. What do you see happening? So
8: I actually had breakfast with uh, Art Laffer once at the Air hotel in Beverly Hills. I love the guy. Um, and we agree with him a hundred percent. On March 14th of this year, we made a market call and we put it in our, uh, our, our daily wrap up. It's at the bottom of our daily wrap up every single day. Our call is Dow 40,000 and NASDAQ 17,000 this year. And, A lot of people think, "Wow, that's a big call." And on March 14th, uh, a month ago, keep in mind, we had just seen the Nasdaq basically reprice itself, and a lot of stocks were down 50, 60 percent. Even Apple was off 15 percent. So it didn't sound—it sounded like we were kind of crazy to make that call. Now we're making new highs every day, so we don't look so crazy. And we have a very, you know, a very simple reason for that. Never in the history of mankind in our lives have we seen a number of things happening all at once at that same time. And that is, you know, unprecedented amount of money, government infusion, okay? Call it what you want, stimulus, call it payments, direct payments to people, infrastructure bill, whatever. That's a huge thing. Interest rates at, you know, zero to 1% basically. I mean, that's, That's never happened. Those two things together have never happened before. A Fed that's basically saying they're not going to raise rates until probably 2022. Um, And, you know, the amount of of capital out there uh, sloshing around is is another factor. So we've got liquidity, got easy Fed. We've got low rates. All this is driving things. Now, last year, interesting part of your question there is, okay, we made a lot of money last year in the market. How do we make money going forward? What do we see going forward? A lot of people think, oh, well, the Biden administration likes the uh, electric vehicle market. What people don't know is last year we made money in the electric vehicle. trade. That that trade's kind of over. Uh, it may come back later this year, but those stocks went way up and they came way down. Uh, the trade in the electric vehicle market is, you know, in lithium. OK, we've been making money. Last year, we made money in tech, stay at home stocks. Zoom, Amazon, DocuSign, big fat software stocks like you know ServiceNow and uh, Coupa and Mongo and all these other wacky huge software companies that were just printing money. But those were the stay at home stocks. Now, what we're seeing is the reopening trades and the demand for products and the demand for transportation, for example, uh, Wirehauser, Lumber, they own all the trees. Okay. Louisiana Pacific, same thing. Those two, we had a lot of money there. We've, we we made a fortune here on Yeti. Okay. The coolers. Okay. People are getting out. Summer's coming. When I'm buying coolers. I'm going to the beach. I mean, it's something simple like that. Um, you know, you could buy a Delta or you could buy a, you know, uh, any old transportation stock, but we prefer to take a, a little bit higher level of, uh, of intelligence to the reopening travel trade. And we went into TripAdvisor and Airbnb. And the reason for that is they're going to benefit the same way Delta does, but they don't have a billion employees and lots of planes. They're a technology company with 80% plus margins. So we're going to see the wind in the sails of TripAdvisor and Airbnb the same way that Delta will, but the margins are so much higher and we can get a lot more juice.
1: We're speaking to Dutch, who's the founder of Carnivore Trading and also a trader at Carnivore, which is partnering with my show. We want to get the word out to all of you about what they're doing. And I'm using the service now. And I think you should all be checking them out, too, if you have any interest in trading the market, especially if you're just starting. And Dutch, just before before we have to get into a, a commercial here, I, I wanted to know, you know, for for folks that are thinking, OK, look, I, I've only got you know, I've, I've never really traded stock before. I've just got a, a 401k and uh, maybe I've got, you know, thirty or $40,000 that I've set aside that I could, I, I could credibly put into the market. It's not my mortgage payment stuff. I mean, I can actually do this. You know, what's your message to them about why they should get involved in trading?
8: Well, we think that, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can make money in the market, but uh, we think the way you make real money in the market is, Uh, is to actually trade directly the stocks that are going to be uh, going up in whatever sectors are going to be getting the wind in the sail, so to speak. So, you know, right now, uh, copper is booming, lumber is booming. Uh, the, uh, the, The marine transportation business, I mean, who would think to go there? Well, there's a limited number of ships out there, big, big container ships. And there's a small number of companies that own them. And now everybody wants stuff, okay? So those guys are making bank. So we've been making money in that kind of a trade. Saying so, uh, you know, people, recreational vehicles, uh, boats, um, you know, the off-road quads over there at Polaris, you know, the Yeti coolers. I mean, the, the reopening trade is definitely on. You know, we tried to get back into the reopening trade last year, probably late in the year, and we were a little too early, but it's not early now.
1: That's Dutch of Carnivore Trading, a company offering you their proven-to-be-successful market trades in real-time as they make them with a unique real-time subscription service. They're a company of traders really watching consumer trends and making smart trades, which you can piggyback off of. That's right. Here's how you subscribe. Visit GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK. That will get you two free weeks. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. Remember, see their website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance is not a guarantee of future earnings.
2: Hey, Team Buck,
0: it's time for Roll Call.
6: Wow, 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 wow.
1: You ever, Have you ever worn a like a 1920s gangster suit? Or ever been to one of those parties where everyone wears the 1920s, you know, uh, the big pinstripe suits with the shoes, with the, I believe it's called a, a, uh, what's it it called when you have the little thing on your shoe? I have Um, no idea what you're talking about. Spats. It's a shortening of spatter dashes or spatter guards, a type of classic footwear accessory for outdoor wear covering the instep and the ankle. Yes. Spats in 1920s gangsters; those guys would wear spats. Uh, they, uh, you know, protect your shoes essentially. You didn't know that?
2: No. Yeah, but that was,
1: was kind of like that was kind of like uh, I don't know if you call. It, I'm, I'm thinking of the song Zoot Suit Riot, but you know, it's it, kind of that kind of tune. So it's yeah. been a long day, producer. More what can crowd. I tell you? Not my crowd see yeah i guess you weren't this you weren't a swing a swing dance guy when that was really big
3: i'm so. not really a dance guy in general
1: i i mean i remember at a certain somebody's wedding i saw some funky moves being busted yeah, out I of mean, the dance floor
3: it but. was my wedding of course i'm gonna have fun yeah
1: yeah. yeah. all right so you're not 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 not, a, not a, I'm, I'm not either I i'm,
3: I'm a right. wedding and bar mitzvah type of fun guy. that's when there i dance go. that's about it
1: what are we so so i'm gonna be at uh at the border are you are, I was going to say, "Are you going to be okay? Really, we should be worried about the next uh, few days. Thursday, Friday, folks, I'm at the border. Rob Smith is going to be hosting the show. Rob's going to do a great job, so please, please do tune in and and you'll be hearing from my, my buddy Rob Smith. Um, but uh, it, I was going to say, are you going to be okay? but really, the question is, you know if if I decide to uh to get you know a little a little too up and close to the action near the cartels, and all of a sudden I find myself... In some kind of a uh, you know prison in Tijuana, I'm assuming you're gonna prove some mark. You're gonna rally the cavalry, go get me, right?
3: I mean, I'll I'll call someone, but I don't think I'm personally gonna go down there. I don't think that would help.
1: All right, just make some calls for me at least. Okay,
3: exactly. I'll I'll call people who can actually help you.
1: Yeah, find some Uh, of my old CIA buddies and uh, and call them and say that the the Buckster. The Buckster needs to put out the bat signal here. He needs a little bit of help. So. We'll
3: call Jack Carr, have him do a stealth Exactly Exactly.
1: Ex- 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 you call Jack Carr from Special Operations. He'll know exactly who to call. We'll be good to go. I'm not worried about it. We get actually, just for the people, of, you call Jack Carr, Sean Parnell, you know, Brandon Webb, Jesse Kelly. You know, you, you, you get like a, like the Dirty Dozen or something. You'd get a whole crew together, you know?
3: Exactly. I'll just call all of our guests. A couple of them will be able to figure
1: it out. Yeah, we, they, they, those guys. Those guys would be able to get me out of any of any uh, sticky situation in in the cart uh, with the cartels. How about you just much,
3: don't so. get in any in any sticky situations and be back on Monday?
1: I think that's a better idea. I think yeah. that's a better idea. All things considered, as much as as much as I like to get up close and personal to uh, the action, the cartels are real scary, actually. So um, there's that. They're bad, bad group. Uh, and uh, it, no, but I, I am folks on on a real note. I'm going to be down at the border for the next couple of days and uh, trying to see just what's going on with the situation of the migration and talking to some different uh, groups and units down there on the government side that are working against the cartel threat with all the drugs pouring into the country and all this stuff. So I'm going to come back with a lot of ground truth. I you know, I hate being away from this show, but. For a day or two, I, I just think given what's going on, I, I really needed to go see it, talk to people, come back with that ground truth, and it'll really help me uh, cover this issue going forward because this is not going away anytime soon. This is going to be the, I think, the, the biggest challenge of the Biden administration this year. I, I think that's what we're, we're looking at right now. I think the Biden administration is going to really uh, have no way of, of handling this. Because ultimately, they won't—they won't take the approach of making it uh, of removing the incentive for illegal crossing. And as long as people are incentivized to cross illegally into the country, and it's easy for them to do so, they're going to keep doing so. So that's what we face right now. All right, let's uh, let's get into roll call member Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. You can send us an Instagram message, instagram.com. Well, I guess just go on the Instagram app. It's not really, people don't really use the website as much, but uh, Instagram and uh, just go send a message to Buck Sexton. And yes, producer Mark will be the first one to read them, but I will get to them after he reads them. And uh, we will read them on the show. And please pass the buck. And the Siege of Malta podcast. Uh, that's out. Part two. We're looking to have it done next week, sometime. Because I know I got to tell you about the actual battle. So that's coming up. Siege of Malta part one. If you uh, if you haven't listened already, it's a great thing over the weekend, or you know while you're doing some chores, or just in the car. Uh, not political. You know, it's just it's just about history. And I think I just think we could all use a little bit of an escape these days from the intensity and the the anger around politics so much. So. Uh, you know, you, you listen to this show to get your politics, but then you can just sort of escape into the mid-16th mid, mid 16th century and the Mediterranean and the forces of the Holy League and the Ottoman Empire in a death match to, to, to determine the future of the world, pretty much. So there you go. All right, let's get to your thoughts in the roll call. Uh, Bryce first up here. Hey, Buck, considering the media corruption today, Do you think Dan Rather would have had to resign with his lies about President Bush? I don't think so. Just curious what you think about that. So, Bryce, what what I am picking up here, what I'm getting from you on this is, do I believe that the media is now so corrupt that they would be willing to, they would keep Dan Rather in his very privileged and overpaid perch at a place like CBS Evening News, would they keep him even after a total debacle like uh what we saw with um the national Guard documents in the uh two thousand election I'm sorry two thousand and four election right wasn't that yes, it was a two thousand and four election that Dan rather did that wasn't it a producer mark i'm 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 blanking on this well, one I believe so yes yes um so I think the, the answer... Yeah, it was the 2004 election. Sorry, I'm just making sure. Um, the answer to your question is, yeah, they, they might actually keep him, Bryce. The, the rules have changed now. I mean, you look at Russia collusion specifically. You just look at the Russia collusion issue, and what you see is that it didn't matter that it was all fake because it was fake for the right team. That's how they view it. It didn't matter that it was all lies, Because it was all lies that assisted Democrats. And so would would Dan Rather probably have been able to ride it out, even though it was an attempt to to really throw a presidential election using fake documents? Yes. Yes, I think he would have been able to. um, if, If it weren't in 2004, if it were the year 2016, here's maybe a better way to put it, Bryce. If it were Trump, for sure the fake National Guard documents wouldn't have been an issue. Um, I mean, it would have been an issue, but it, he wouldn't have lost uh, his job. Uh, Dan Rather did end up resigning, did end up stepping down from his job because of that. Karen writes, hello, Buck and producer Mark. I'm a big fan of the show. Maybe it's because I'm usually listening to the podcast while I'm making dinner, but I quite enjoy the food banter at the end. Well, Karen, so do we. We get very hungry. My husband has recently joined Team Buck and listened to your podcast at 1.8 speed. You might be a podcast heathen who will not be able to properly appreciate Buck's great impressions, but at least he's listening. I've also passed the buck to my son in university after episode one of the Siege of Malta was up. He's a big history buff. Great work so far. Can't wait for episode two. I don't know if you've seen what is going on in Canada with on again, off again, COVID lockdowns and the terrible vaccine rollout. It's awful up here. Schools are closed to in-person learning indefinitely. Stores are only permitted to sell essential products and gatherings, even outdoors, are limited to people within your household. I could go on and on about how terrible the response has been at both levels, but this comes down to the Trudeau government relying on the global stockpile of vaccine instead of making our own. Shields high, eh? Karen, our sister from up north in Canada. Um, I would just say... uh. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem with these touchy-feely leftist governments that think that they can protect you. If they're just in charge of everything, just let us be in charge of everything. We'll protect you. Just do exactly what we say. Why aren't you doing what we say? Why aren't you listening to it? It it, it goes so quickly, doesn't it? it? It transforms from, oh, we're just here to help. We're just here to support. We're just here to... Make sure the less fortunate or those in need get to get what they need to give us everything that we say or else we're going to lock you up. Right. It, It it's amazing how quickly the leftist authoritarian do gooders go from we're just we're just from the government or we're just using the government and we're here to help to shut up, mask up, stay inside. We're taking your money. Go to church. We'll lock you in prison. Isn't it fascinating to see how quickly this has happened? And so many people still think this is okay. So many people watch these videos of religious ceremonies being shut down, of men with guns in the employ of the state showing up to tell them, you can't worship your God because there's a virus that's out there that people have a 99% chance of surviving. And, oh, by the way, if you're outdoors or you're you're socially distanced or whatever, uh, your chances of getting this are tiny anyway. Doesn't doesn't matter. Obey or else. This is really, this all along has been a challenge to see whether people understand what freedom really is. Freedom is not you have the right to make decisions unless the government thinks there's just a, a generally better decision for you that they can make for you. Freedom is the right to make decisions, even when they're not necessarily the best decisions. As long as you are within constitutional boundaries and stay within, you know, natural law of not hurting, not not affirmatively and and directly hurting other people, taking their stuff. Freedom does not mean that the government gets to tell you how large, you know, your, your portion of spaghetti and meatballs is. That's not. That, that's not a free society. That's not a free system. And I know there are all kinds of infringements. People say, well, what about seatbelts? So this is always the argument under, you know, I, I think there is a, str- there is a strong ar- argument to be made that the government overreaches when it says that you have to wear a seatbelt. And I think that in part it's because, of, uh, because they can't, for one, they, they can't really convince anybody that you're a danger to others because you're going to, you know, go through a windshield. Um, but th- th- these are areas where we see government overreach. And and the freedoms that we thought we had are under assault in ways that are very clear now. It's very obvious what it means when the government tells you to do something that it shouldn't be able to do. More roll call going on here. We got Daryl. Haybuck and producer Mark. Everyone keeps commenting about Fauci's clear hypocrisy and saying you still have to wear a mask and stay locked down after you're vaccinated. There's an attempt by Ron DeSantis and others to use this as a lever against Fauci and Biden in order to force them in on that ridiculous position. However, what I'm not hearing anyone talk about is the reason that they're taking this position, and it isn't the variance. The real reason is that if they advocated the DeSantis line of if you're vaccinated, act immune, then it's mayhem at stores and restaurants and schools and gyms and concerts because we can't really know who's ever been vaccinated and who has not, and that's a nightmare scenario for tyrants. And that is where the push for the vaccine passport comes in. Assuming and hoping that idea goes nowhere, then what's their end game? Do you think they have one? I don't. I think they've got themselves in a box and don't know how to get out of it. Shields high. No, Daryl, I've been saying this just to be clear. I've been saying that it's about control and they don't want to allow the collapse of the covid lockdown regime by letting people if there is an excuse to not wear masks uh, that that is given at the you know, from the CDC level for some people a lot of people are just going to stop wearing masks. And then what will happen is not that there'll be such a rise in cases and everything. That's that we've all seen. That's not what happens. And they keep saying, it. well, it's not what happens. But then people say, well, hold on. We've all, so many people aren't wearing masks and, and we're fine. And the cases are still you know going down nationally. People are getting vaccinated. So what were we wearing masks for again? I mean, and that's the real nightmare scenario for the Fauciites that people would finally wake up to the fact that masks are an entirely insufficient means of protecting you from COVID-19. So insufficient as to be largely irrelevant in the grand scale of things. That's what the data has actually shown. And anybody who disagrees with that, you can explain to me how a 1% reduction based on mask mandates. See, they keep saying, oh, that's because people don't wear them enough. Well, even with a mandate, no one is wearing them enough anywhere in the country. Then there's a problem here with having a mandate. It's not working but instead what they say is more 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 masks more masks we need more masks doesn't do it It doesn't do it we've all seen it I mean that's why I don't care I don't care how many people yell at me and call me an idiot and anti-science it's so stupid I spent a whole year of my life wearing a mask like an idiot all the time because I had to but I've observed and I've looked and I've seen and I know the numbers and I know the data and I know Fauci's a little moron so they can yell at me all day. I know what they're saying isn't true, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I feel sorry for them. I, I think they're kind of. I just think that the the mask shamers are sad. I really do. I think they're a sad bunch. Joel, hey fellows, hope all's well. Had a thought while listening to Tuesday's show. You were saying how the Biden administration and the left uh, w- wanted illegal immigration to continue in order to cement their power by overwhelming the vote in their favor. I thought of another possible reason for it too. The vast majority come from countries with tyrannical to varying degrees leaders. If they allow enough of them in, then they could have a huge number of illegals with no concept of our history or constitution. It would be much easier for them to ignore or outright abolish the constitution. But on top of that, they would have a ready-made population that's, being, that's used to being controlled by government, and total control is not outside the realm of possibility for their endgame. Plausible? Shields high and have a lovely day. Well, you know, Joel, it's... I, I see what you're saying, I and mean, there's definitely a difference in perception from uh, people from from countries that are arriving here, and they they don't have uh, in general the same sense of, of American history and, and American norms and and mores and uh, just you know, customs and perception of government. So that's why assimilation is such an important process, but remember. The Biden administration doesn't like the term assimilation anymore. I think we should all ask why. Folks, I'll be at the border next few days. Don't worry about me. And uh, in the meantime, shields high.